Well, it's funny that uh, Scott was talking about being honest this morning because the kids call it real talk. And uh, actually, it's a hip hop thing. But um, we're going to get a bit real this morning. But uh, this week has been a really big week for all Australians and, uh, and New Zealanders as well. Um, there are some Kiwis. We got Kiwis? All right, we got the Kiwis. I'm going to make sure I don't forget you like the guys at Surface Paradise did. And they forgot the Kiwi anthem. Wasn't that disgusting? I was really upset about that. It's Anzac, not Ack. Anzac. Uh, it was Anzac Day through the week. And how many of us did, uh, did we get up? Did we get up and get to dawn service? A bunch of us got out to dawn service. Not all of us, some of us did. It was, uh, it's still, I'm up early anyways every morning, but uh, it's one of my favourite holidays of the year as we, uh, as we stop and, uh, and remember, remember that day in particular and, uh, and the events of that day uh, in 1915 and, and all that happened. Uh, but I think it's one of those days that, that all Aussies and, and Kiwis, on Anzac Day, we tend to stand a little bit taller, don't we? I don't know about you, that's kind of my experience, is, is I stand a little bit taller on Anzac Day, and there's a sense of, uh, a real sense of pride and a real sense of, uh, well, joy in, uh, in such a horrible, horrible thing that happened. Uh, there's a, a real sense of pride that, that fills you as you stand, as the sun's starting to come up and you hear the bugle, and, um, and you hear the story and you hear the ode, and, um, it's just a, a very powerful, powerful time. And you hear the, uh, the, the anthems sung, both anthems, hopefully. Uh, you hear both anthems sung. And uh, the, the service that we were at, the, Anzac, the dawn service that we were at on Wednesday, was uh, there was a, three Kiwi girls who sung both anthems. And they were, I was in tears. It was amazing uh, the way that they did that. But I want to start this morning... Uh, by reading your poem. It's a poem that you all know, that we know really well. Uh, it was written by a, main, a, na- a man named Lawrence Binion in 1914, which is very interesting. Uh, we know the second verse of it, but I want to read you the first verse as well. Uh, and it goes this way. It says, they went, with, they went with songs to the battle. They were young, straight of limb, true of eye, steady and aglow. They were staunch to the end against odds uncounted, they fell with their faces to the foe. They shall not grow old as we who are left grow old. Age shall not weary them, nor the years condemn. At the going down of the sun and in the morning, we will remember them. And all Australians and Kiwis know how to respond to that. We say, lest we forget. Lest we forget. It's such an important phrase, lest we forget. And uh, my great-grandfather, my great-grandfather was part of the light horse that, uh, at the Battle of Bathsheba. I don't know whether he went into Jerusalem or not, but he was at the Battle of Bathsheba. We know that for sure. And my grandfather, who I'm named after, funnily enough, uh, his, his story, they should make a movie about my grandfather's story because it's phenomenal. Uh, my great-grandfather probably came home with PTSD. They didn't know about that in those days. And... Uh, he wasn't exactly the most loving man and kicked my grandfather out of home at 14. And uh, my grandfather, I think it was 14, uh, and for a number of years he lived on the streets in Sydney. And he was, uh, in particular, his home was Hyde Park in Sydney. And uh, at 16 years old, he signed up to go to war and he 
signed up predominantly so that he could get some food and a bed. He had no idea what he was signing up for, and at 16 years of age, he got put into a, uh, a, a battalion called the Second Second, purple over green, and uh, I'm going to get it tattooed somewhere on me at some point, because their motto was in Latin, <coughs> in Latin it was nulli secundus, uh, which means second to none. And um, at 16 years old, he was, well, it was a bit older than that at different points, but uh, he got put into a battalion that fought at every major war, in wo every major battle in World War II. Uh, he found himself in Tobruk. He found himself at Kokoda. Uh, he fought both the Germans and the Japanese. He, uh, he actually got captured by the Germans on the island of Crete and was a POW. And uh, he was a tough bugger because he escaped. He said, bugger this, I'm out of here. And he escaped up into the mountains and it was winter and there was snow and he had one of his big toes was always black because he got frostbite. And, uh, and he escaped up into the mountains and the, the villagers up there nursed him back to health because obviously he wasn't in great nick. And then when he got back to his unit, they shipped him off to Kokoda. And uh, all of this is going on while he's a teenager. He's a teenager walking through this. And uh, he was one of the, the hardest and toughest men I ever knew. Uh, I don't remember ever getting a hug from my grandfather and not in one of those, oh, poor me, I didn't get a hug. Because uh, I thought it was great. As a young kid, it was always the handshake. And uh, the handshake would come out and he'd, he'd drop you to your knees, squeeze your hand. And so it was like this kind of thing when you see granddad, it was like, oh, I'm going to get you this time. And it wasn't until I was about 11 or 12 that I actually managed to go toe to toe with him. And, uh, but he was, a, he, he, was a, he was a tough old bugger. But there was... There's, there's something, it's, it's up there, oh no, it was up there before. There's something that's very tenacious about, uh, about who we are, both as Australians, and, and I'm going to include Kiwis in there as well. There's a tenacity uh, that I saw in, in my grandfather that even though it was tough, he just kept going. He might not have always done it well. <laughs> he might have had his struggles and he, he didn't exactly do it perfect, but what... The, 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 the Anzac thing demonstrates to me is that sense of that Anzac spirit that we speak of. And that spirit is not in opposition to the Holy Spirit. It's actually an inheritance that we've been given by God that is part of uh, a very unique thing and a very unique inheritance that we have. I'm going to just talk about that a little bit. But this nation is a really young nation. Uh, founded a little under 250 years ago. We've really only been a nation for 100 years. And uh, in, in that 100 years, we've, uh, we've journeyed a long way. We've journeyed a long way as a nation. Uh, this land is aptly named a sunburnt land, and it is. Uh, and it's a land of great contrast. We, we have snow, but we have deserts, we have rainforests, we have this beautiful Great Barrier Reef. And have you noticed that everything's called Great the Great Barrier Reef, the Great Dividing Range, the, uh, we even named a road, the Great Ocean Road. You now we're like, sorry? The Great Stony Desert, there's lots of greats around, but, uh, that, that kind of, uh, beauty, it's unrivaled, it's unique, and it covers this land that's girt by sea. And, uh, I think, uh, Australian kids are the only kids on mass in the entire world that know what girt means. Nobody else knows what girt means. And I was like, girt, what's that? Aussie kids know. Aussie kids know what girt means. 
but it's a unique land where danger lurks behind every corner, uh, not only in our wildlife, but in the ruggedness of the terrain uh, that we, uh, it's so untamed and, and so immense. Uh, it's, it's such a beautiful country. I was out running this morning with my, my Kelpie, Kelpie pup bear, and uh, he just loves being out in the bush. And we're out in the bush, and this big, uh, I, I, I didn't know what it was. I thought it was an eagle, but this massive bird, this thing was huge. Its wingspan was, I reckon it was bigger than me. Um, as I looked, well, that was from a distance, but it, it looked huge. And it had, it had something in its talons, but this thing, I found out it was a kite. It was a, a black-shouldered kite, and it was white. And it, was, it stopped me in my run, and I was just watching it going, wow, this, I love this land. I love this place. I love my home. Uh, I, I love this country. Uh, but in many ways, we're, we're still forging our identity, and we have forged an identity uh, within the midst of a global community. And, uh, you know, we have a place. We have a place, and we have a role within this global community. And I, it's my belief that it's intrinsically connected to this inheritance that we have. And... Uh, probably the most identity-defining moment for us as a nation happened on the 25th of April, 1915, in a place that's now known as Anzac Cove in Gallipoli. And uh, I wanted to bring this message this morning following Anzac Day for a very specific reason, because I, it's my belief that if you call this place home, whether you were born here or whether this is your adopted nation, that inheritance is yours. It's, it's not about just being born here. If this place, if you call this place home, it's yours to have. It's globally significant. It's globally significant because we are the people of the great south land of the Holy Spirit. Decurios stood up, a guy named Decurios stood up in the islands north of here and he looked south and he said, Terra Australis, the Spiritus Santo. And we bear that name, Terra Australis, Australia. We are the great south land of the Holy Spirit. Kiwis are included in that. Our brothers, our sisters, our family. But we are the great south land of the Holy Spirit. And on the shores of that faraway land, all of Australia and indeed the world saw that inheritance outworked. If, if you're an Aussie or a Kiwi, you know the story. If you don't know the story of Gallipoli, learn it. I'm not going to tell you it because it'll take too long but it's an amazing story. I won't recall the battle of the events, all the events that took place, but I will say that, that uh, those young men who landed on that bitterly cold morning in April, they refused to take a backward step. They refused to take a backward step. Those young men looked straight into the teeth of angry Turkish machine guns and stood side by side and took step by step together. There's a story that, that does illustrate this beautifully. There was a man named Charles Bean who, um, he was basically a war correspondent. He kind of worked for the, the army, I believe. Uh, but he wrote this. He was, he was charged with the, the task of chronicling this, what they thought was going to be this wonderful victory. Uh, but he, he wrote this, and it's incredibly impacting. He said, each time they charge forward the cry of, come on, Australians, rings out. It was great to watch them as they went, Bean would recount. Absolutely unaffected by the bullets, their faces were set, their eyebrows bent, and they looked into, into it for a moment as men would into a dazzling flame. I never saw so many determined faces at once. Bean keeps moving among the men, 
doling out water and making each, uh, each can he carries go as far as possible by asking each man not to have too much. Each fellow took about two sips and then handed, back, handed it back, Bean would faithfully, faithfully record. Really, you could have cried to see how unselfish they were. Australians and Kiwis never give up. We never give up. We're marked with an unquenchable tenacity and offered pig-headed determination to get it done. There's a wonderful line in uh, John Williamson's song, True Blue. Will you tie it up with wire just to keep the show on the road? That's what we do. It makes us world-class athletes. Maybe not the Kiwis. No, I'm joking. Um, and it permeates a composed character, which is how she'll be right. That saying, she'll be right. That's how that should be properly understood. It's not an indifference. It's composure. She'll be right. Keep going. She'll be right. It's composure. We see it all throughout our short history. The reason we're drawn to Sir Donald Bradman, not just because he was an outstanding cricket player, an outstanding batsman with an outstanding average, but because he, he, he fought against the, another John Williamson song. He fought against the odds and put others in the shade. He, he stood up when Larwood decided to bounce the living crap out of him and he stood there and he took it and he showed them this great spirit that he kept going and he kept going. It's the reason that we here in Queensland anyways are so endeared to our rugby league team because they never give up. They never quit. They keep going. They keep going. Game two last year, we were losing. We should have lost that game. We nearly turned the thing off at half time. We were playing so badly. And then there was a moment, and the great sage, Gus Gould, as, uh, as Cooper Cronk kicks it out for field position, and the great sage says, I'm not sure why he kicked it out like that. And there's a moment, as soon as he says that, that Cooper Cronk looks at Jonathan Thurston and they give each other a nod. We'll be right. We got this. And JT, you little beauty, you kicked that sucker and we won. It's beautiful, isn't it? Just beautiful. Away from sport now before I get too caught up. <laughs> In, uh, <laughs> oh, game three was, you know what? This is the thing, this is the thing that is so amazing about Australians. And, and I think that you can all maybe, well, hopefully you might or may not agree with this. I would much rather see us come back to win than see us flog them 70 nil. There's something unique and it, because it taps in to this thing. It taps into this inheritance that we have. With our backs against the wall, we'll fight. We'll keep moving forward. We'll keep coming at you. We won't stop moving. And, uh, and I think that for, for me, that was uh, game two was, well, game three was pretty special too, but game two was pretty good. Let's get away from sport. Uh, in a wonderfully prophetic way, uh, our coat of arms, our coat of arms, the Australian coat of arms, is, uh, is, is a wonderfully prophetic uh, symbol of this tenacious inheritance that we have. And I don't know whether it was done this way on purpose or not. Uh, perhaps it was, perhaps it wasn't, but uh, it's, it's sitting up there in the corner. Uh, and, and most Australians know about the, uh, about the kangaroo and the emu, that uh, physically they can't take a backward step. They can't do that. They can't step backwards. Uh, they just can't do it. If you've seen a kangaroo's feet, you can understand why. Uh, but they can't go backwards. They can only move forwards or to the side. They can't go backwards. 
and if you look at it up there too, they're looking each other dead in the eye. They look each other dead in the eye. Uh, but one of the things that's not so well known is the thing that encases our coat of arms up there, and that's wattle, the wattle tree. Uh, now, the wattle tree, it's a bludger of a tree if you've got hay fever. It's an absolute bludger of a tree. But one of the things that's amazing and unique about wattle, because we've got many native trees, and many native flowers that could have been up on that coat of arms, but for, for some reason they chose wattle. And one of the things that's amazing about wattle is you can plant that sucker anywhere and that thing will grow. It'll grow no matter what conditions it's put in, whether it's drought or whether it's, whether it's raining and wet and flooding, that thing grows. And not only does it grow, it flowers. It flowers. No matter where you put that thing, that thing will flower. I was running this morning and smelling the wattle because the wattle's out. A couple of times a year, the wattle blooms. And you just can't stop it. You just can't stop it. And speaks of this, uh, this tenacious, tenacious inheritance that we have. And, and it's a wonderful inheritance. A wonderful inheritance. Uh, but like all things that God has designed, we have an enemy that opposes it. And, uh, and, and always in rather uncreative ways works in the opposite ways, in the opposite spirit to those plans. And so this is a message for us as the church, uh, both specifically how this inheritance works out as we too, as we walk life now, far from Anzac Cove, but we've, we walk life now with our own machine guns, looking into the teeth of those machine guns of our own as we walk life. And I want to be real honest with you today because this journey is not an easy one. And, uh, and before we kick it off, my heart is to communicate this with grace, with love, and with compassion, and nothing that I'm going to say is in any way to be condemning. Because if we're going to be a loving community who lives in and leads others in the power of expansive hope, then we've got to learn how to process and, dis- and we have to process and learn to live with disappointment. Because disappointment... Uh, I believe, is one of the things that the enemy is setting in place uh, uh, that's in the opposite spirit to this inheritance that we've been given. It's only one of the things, but I think it's a major thing. Because the reality is, is for us as the church, the more risks we take, the more we step out, the more we reach in, the more moments that we'll see the kingdom break through. And the reality is, is that there's also moments where we won't see the kingdom come. We won't see that happen. So the more you put yourself out there, the more you're going to see him do, and the more you're not going to see him do. And if we're learning to be kingdom people, living a kingdom lifestyle of pursuing this king, as he pours out his generous life and hope, transforming our community, the reality is along the way, we're going to, we're going to face moments where we reach for the kingdom, we put ourselves in vulnerable moments, and his glory won't cover us. And probably one of the greatest barriers for us as individuals and as the church uh, across the planet, but for us in the church in Australia in particular, is pursuing a king and his kingdom and, and his kingdom breaking in is disappointment and discouragement. Those moments where we've reached for it and it hasn't happened. And how we handle that, how we journey that, makes all the difference in our communities. 
For those of you who know Nay and I, we, uh, for those of you who don't, uh, but for those of you who do, we've, uh, we've just recently got back after three years spending some time uh, leading a vineyard church in Melbourne. And we left here with great hopes and great dreams of, pardon me, what that was going to look like and, and what was going to happen. And, uh, and as we walked that out and journeyed that out, we, uh, we came to the realisation that God had a different plan in mind. That the plan that we had, the idea that we had, our hopes and dreams, uh, were a little different to the ones that he had for us and uh, in, in sending us there. And um, we had to be humble enough to be able to say, okay, Lord, we'll do what it is that you've asked us to do. Uh, and like all things that come with the kingdom, it cost us everything. It cost us everything. Uh, we left friends, we left family, we sold a house. We, uh, we found ourselves feeling a little bit like Peter when he said to Jesus, we've given up everything to follow you. <laughs> We've given up everything to follow you. And uh, very much that's, uh, uh, maybe we didn't give up everything. It just felt like everything. Uh, and, uh, and we took off and we, uh, we, we thought that we were stepping into something that was going to be long and beautiful and hard too because ministry is not easy. We weren't expecting a, a cruise ship in any way. Uh, but we had to uh, journey that and now we find ourselves back home and um, trying to work out what happened there, <laughs> why are we back here, what's next and we have a whole bunch of questions that are all wrapped up in that and, uh, and, and also a whole bunch of disappointment that's also uh, caught up in that as well and so we've been on that journey of processing that disappointment, of walking through that disappointment and learning, well, how, what does this even look like? How do, how do we do this? Because uh, anybody who's been in ministry for any length of time knows that uh, it's not all sunshine and rainbows. There are lots of sunshine and there is lots of rainbows, but there's also lots of hard stuff too. And there's lots of pain in there too. And certainly we've, uh, we've had our fair share of that without going into too much detail. So what I want to do now as we step a little bit deeper into this is I'm just going to pray. I'm going to pray very specifically uh, and then we're going to jump into some of the things that are in the, in the scripture. So let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for what you're doing amongst us at the moment. The life and hope that you're stirring. Thank you that you're already working and that we never have to persuade you to move. Father, we invite you to rest upon us and ask that you would come and disentangle our hearts from thought processes and belief systems and worldviews that are contrary to your kingdom. And ask today that you would put in us the power of expansive hope that will allow us to demonstrate faith to a watching world. In Jesus' name. Amen. Righto. You ready? Let's go. If you've got your Bibles, we're going to look at three different scriptures this morning, three different parts of the Bible. We're going to look at Romans 5, that's where we're going to start, and then we're going to jump back, a long way back to Numbers 23, so you can stick your finger in that if you want, uh, and then uh, we're, going to, we're going to finish in Psalm 71. It's up on the screen if you need it. Uh, it's in the ESV, up there, if you need to change your app or something. So we're going to start there in, uh, in Romans 5, verse 1. It says, Therefore we have been justified by faith, 
We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into his grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. What is the hallmark of biblical suffering? An atmosphere of joy. Now, isn't that a shift in our thinking? We know that we're suffering well when our suffering is marked with joy. Why? Because suffering, because we know that suffering produces endurance. We keep holding on. When hope runs out in our communities, we keep holding on. When hope's running out, in, ma- in marriages, we keep holding on. When hope is running out in family situations, we keep holding on. When hope is running out for financial relief, we keep holding on. And we know that endurance produces character. And you would think that that's the end goal of the Christian life. That the end goal of the Christian life is to be people of outstanding character. But Paul says that's not the end of the process. It's not about exercising morality, but that there's something greater than character. There's something that God is after beyond simply being people of good character who are kind to each other. Because character produces people of outstanding and extravagant kingdom expectation. It produces people of hope. It produces prisoners of hope. People who are prisoners of hope. When the enemy has meant for us to become prisoners of pain and suffering, uh, instead the work of God in us means that we become prisoners of hope instead. And the greatest indicator of whether or not our character is growing is whether or not our hope is growing. Our kingdom expectation, our expectation that in, in the moments and the journeys and the circumstances that we face, that God is good. That's what kingdom expectation means, that we expect his goodness towards us. We expect him to be good. Hope is the hallmark of biblical character. Now, here's the thing. If I'm saying that, if it's just me who's just come up with that, then you can do what you want with it. You can throw it out. But if Paul's saying that, maybe we should be listening. If the outcome of suffering in life is hope... Uh, And not just hope for the future, but the recognition that the kingdom is advancing, that the kingdom is breaking in all around us so that we posture our hearts with kingdom expectation. We practice the discipline of uh, of focused remembrance. Wow. (laughs) We practice the discipline of focused remembrance. Uh, on all that God has done, all that God is doing, and we press into this future that God is creating, then the outcome of our suffering isn't cynicism, it's hope. It's hope. Which means that when I don't see the kingdom come as though I thought it would, when I don't see the kingdom breaking in the way I expected it to, Uh, And I won't all the time because there's opposition, there's oppression, there's affliction, there's rejection, there's choices of others, there's the, the plans of the enemy, there's all of this demonic realm that presses in against us as we lean towards and lean in towards a better future for our families, for our communities, for this church, 
for all the churches, for this great city of Brisbane, for the great Southland of the Holy Spirit. Our hope remains and we keep reaching out. Uh, He's not here this morning, which is actually very odd, Uh, but um, there's a couple of people who I just want to stop and, and thank because in particular... They have demonstrated this to me uh, in outstanding ways. And, uh, and, and one of them is Big D, uh, Dave Delaney. And uh, if you know much of his story, it's not my story to tell. You have to ask him. But I've seen him walk some incredible adversity and to still walk incredible adversity. And that guy is always smiling. I, I don't get it. You wouldn't know some of the stuff that he's walking through because there is this atmosphere of joy around him all the time. All the time. And he, I see that and it demonstrates that to, this, this reality to me and it demonstrates a, this inheritance that we have in this nation because that man walks it out every day. Every day. And I'm, I'm so thankful to have seen that. And the other one is the guy who led me to Christ, uh, Dave Hockey. The way that he, you know, talk about the excrement hitting the rotating device. Crikey, mate. The, what I've seen Dave walk through, you like what I did there? Yeah. Um, what I've seen him walk through and still be a person of great kingdom expectation. Now, it doesn't always look pretty, <laughs> Because it's Dave. Um, (laughs) But he keeps showing up. And he keeps stepping up to the crease. And he keeps taking the balls that are delivered. He keeps going. He's still a chappie at my old high school. And he's still going. And for me, he's a person of hope that Paul is talking about in this. Uh, and it, it, they're two completely different people in the way that they walk that out. And uh, if, you don't, if you don't know them yet, I encourage you to, to catch up with both of them because uh, they're, they're both outstanding in the way that they live this out. Uh, and I've said it many times uh, to him personally, and I'll say it now, uh, Dave's my hero. He's my hero because of the way he does that. Okay, because I want to be like that. I'm not. And that's not, that's not me trying to be self-deprecating. That's just me being honest and assessing my, my walk of maturity. I'm not there yet because I don't always walk it very well. I don't always journey it very well. And I look to these two men uh, as, uh, as, as wonderful examples to me of what this journey of uh, walking through suffering, of walking through disappointment, of processing disappointment and still reaching out. Uh, They do it very well. Okay, it's enough of this love fest. Numbers 23. Numbers 23. Now this is, uh, we're just going to read a small section of that which is not exactly the greatest exegetical thing to do, but I want to grab hold of something that uh, a a bloke named Bala Arm if you want to get real ochre about it, because we're talking about being Australians, he's Balaam. Oh, Balaam. But his, uh, the way his name is pronounced is Bala Arm. Uh, and uh, this is before he falls off the map and, st- and he has donkeys talking to him and all sorts of crazy stuff. Uh, this is when he's uh, still working very hard to, uh, to honour God. 
And, uh, and he says this, this thing in, uh, in verse 19 there. He says, God is not man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? And here's the thing, because we've all walked moments in our lives where we've reached for the kingdom, where we prayed for that sick friend and they didn't get healed, where we've prayed for a marriage and it still broke up, where we've risked speaking to that person about the kingdom of God and they've rejected us. We've all walked those places uh, in, in those moments on various degrees and in various scales, that disappointment that we face, we've all honestly sat with this question and answered, I'm not sure. I'm not sure, God. I'm not sure if this statement is true. Does God act, speak and then not act? And what we do with those moments where we felt that God had spoken, but it didn't come to pass, those moments when it feels like he did change his mind, makes all the difference in, the, in our communities because we represent Jesus everywhere we go. I mean, what do we do with those moments where we've trusted, where we've, we've thought that you said, God, go and pray for that sick or injured friend and it didn't happen? I felt like you told me that this was the time, God. I felt like you told me that this was the time that I was supposed to get married. I thought that this was the time that this new job was coming. I thought that this was the time, God, when I should start a new business or change my career. I thought that this was the time when I was supposed to reach out to that estranged family member. I thought that this was the time. And it doesn't happen. What do we do when we're struggling to say amen to this verse? When we find ourselves in moments and places of absence when we encounter absence in our lives, when we read it and we want to celebrate, but secretly, inwardly, we're actually saying, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I want to say that you speak and act, but the truth is there's many moments when your kingdom hasn't come the way I thought it would. If you've ever been in that moment, that's a moment of disappointment with God. And disappointment with God relates to those moments in life where we believe or carry the thought that God has failed to fulfill something that he said in line with our hopes and our dreams. You ever been there? You may be there right now. You may be walking through those moments right now. And perhaps the hardest part of walking through those moments is that we believe that he has the power to act and deliver to change circumstances, and yet he hasn't. Those moments are when we become disappointed with God. And what do you do with those moments? There's uh, one of my favorite authors is a man named R.T. Kendall. Uh, if you're familiar with R.T. Kendall's work, he's a, a brilliant author. Uh, he's in his 80s now, and uh, he's still going. And uh, for a long time, he was the... Uh, he was the pastor of the Westminster Chapel, which is a very prestigious, it's, a, it's an incredible uh, honour to, uh, to, to do that. And he did it for a significant amount of time. R.T. Kendall, he wrote, he wrote this really amazing thing. Uh, he said, sooner or later, every believer experiences disappointment with God. And he says, 90% of those believers never recover from the experience. Now, I don't know if he's right or he's wrong. I don't have statistics or anything like that. 
But what I do know is that while we're reaching and pressing into life and hope for our community in the power of the Holy Spirit, that if 90% of us never get past the disappointment, then that culture begins to infect everything we touch. And I found myself in that place. We have to find a way to break through the disappointment. Because here's the thing, if we don't, what we do is we begin to reduce our theology and our practice to our wounds instead of fixing our theology and our practice on His wounds. And His wounds are enough. His wounds are enough for me. His wounds are enough for my family, are enough for this church, are enough for our state, are enough for this great shire of Moreton Bay. It's kind of gotten a bit bigger in the last few years. It used to be Pine Rivers. Uh, but his wounds are enough. And so what happens is uh, if, if we don't find a way to process and work through that disappointment, uh, we begin to reduce our theology. So the way that we see God, the way that we understand who God is, our theology begins to be reduced to our wounds and our practice, therefore, what we do throughout our day and how we respond to things around us and people around us also begins to become reduced to our wounds rather than his wounds. Now, if I'm operating out of my wounds, I begin to infect everything around me and not with hope but with weariness, with cynicism, with fatigue, with brokenness. And I've got enough of that stuff to go around at certain moments and times. Told you it was going to be real talk. Now, should we pretend that we don't have the wounds? No, please don't do that. Don't pretend like you don't have the wounds. Uh, and, and again, like I said, this is not to be condemning, but Jesus had a word for that. Hippocrates, the hypocrites, the actors. That's what hypocrite means. A hypocrite, that word in classical Greek, hypocrite was the name of an actor. And so Hugh Jackman is a hypocrite. Might get in trouble for saying that. Actors, those who act, please don't do that. If you've got the wounds, don't pretend like you don't have them. What we need to do is find a way to bring our wounds to the wounded healer and allow him to pour his spirit into us and allow him to spill his hope into us. And there's no one model for that. There's no one model for that. Everybody will journey that in different ways and in different methods. For some of us, we need to talk it out. We might need to go and sit with a counsellor and, and talk through that. That's how we can process that disappointment. There's all sorts of different ways. For me, I process when I'm training of all the stupid things to do. When I'm in the gym or if I'm out running with my Kelpie pup and I've got my headphones on and I'm listening to music, I'm listening to a podcast and I'm running or I'm, I'm lifting lifting weights, I, that's where I'm thinking and I'm processing and that processing happens in conversation with Jesus and at appropriate times as I feel like he's speaking to me and I'm beginning to understand something. I'm, I'm, I've been processing what, what, what was going on there. Why, why am I feeling this way? Then I may need to talk to somebody about it at different times. There's no right or wrong way to do that. And so I guess I just want to throw that out there and say, there's no one way, but find a way. 
Find a way. If you're not sure, then maybe it is helpful to talk to somebody about that. I don't know how to process this right now. I'm not sure. I'm feeling this way, but I don't know what to do with that. I don't know what to do with that right now. Romans 5 says that hope doesn't disappoint us. Why? Because God's love has been poured into us by his Holy Spirit. So when we step into that, into those, that process of, of, uh, of processing, the process of processing, that's in great English, um, of, uh, of processing disappointment, we, um, we're stepping into that process not in isolation, but we're stepping into that process intentionally welcoming the person of the Holy Spirit to, to spill his hope back into us. Why? Because Paul said that he won't put us to shame. He won't let us down when we do that. He will help us journey that. Uh, in order to process suffering an atmosphere of joy and the end result become hope, not discouragement and cynicism, Paul is saying that what we do, we do that by bringing him our pain and letting him pour in his love, his grace, his mercy, his compassion, his hope into us. We have to choose not to allow the pain and the disappointment to define who he, who he wants to be, but... No, I buggered that up. <laughs> you ever read something and it makes absolutely no sense? <laughs> Okay, we have to choose not to allow the pain to, to order our, our response. We have to make that choice because what happens uh, if we allow disappointment to define our response, we're, we're, we're choosing that. We have to vote for it in our hearts. Uh, and the thing is, is that when we choose to enter into this process, we enter into this process uh, in a place of utter weakness, complete and utter weakness and that is not a place that we're ready to go often but here's the thing the holy spirit is drawn like a magnet to weakness like a magnet to weakness we place ourselves in weak and vulnerable moments and he will be there like all get out he loves it because here's the thing it's it's okay to uh, occasionally process disappointment and journey with disappointment, uh, maybe regularly process disappointment. Uh, and to be completely frank, I'm not sure how you live this life with one foot in the kingdom of God and one foot here on earth, uh, whether you're in ministry or not. I'm not sure how you live this life uh, of, of that way, expect, waiting for the kingdom of God to break in and expecting the kingdom to break in. I'm not sure how you do that and not experience disappointment and not process disappointment. If somebody has lived a life like that, I want you to pray for me because I haven't. It's okay to do that. Uh, it's, it's more than okay. It's probably pretty expectant. Uh, we will have disappointing moments. We will have disappointing events. But I don't have to be disappointed. Feeling and being are not the same thing. Feeling and being are not the same thing. At that point of being disappointed, it's a choice. I've chosen to be disappointed. I mean, how do you reach for the impossible with an invisible God 
And when you see it not happen, you would be inhuman if you weren't disappointed. You would be inhuman if you weren't disappointed. But how do you recognize disappointment? There are a few things that we can grab a hold of to know whether we're journeying with disappointment or not. Uh, The first is that we begin to experience fragility in our faith. This is one sure sign for me that, uh, that, that, that I'm experiencing disappointment. As soon as I see that fragility in my faith, I, I know I've got an unresolved issue with God. When I begin to question the Father's wisdom and compassion, uh, you know, a heart, pardon me, a heart that feels betrayed is one that constantly raises questions. And let me be clear, it's good to ask questions. That's what David prayed. Question, uh, asking questions of God is a, is a healthy sign of, of love, uh, but the posture that we ask those questions from is everything. The questions themselves aren't wrong. The posture that we ask them with uh, is one that we have to watch out for uh, because if we're asking those questions out of a posture of cynicism rather than encounter, then we, we know we've got that unresolved issue with God. Like I said, we've, we've come back and we've got questions. We've got questions. As far as I'm concerned, the jury's still out whether we heard God clearly or correctly or not. And I'm okay with that. And it does, I think it does no good just to blanket it and say, oh yeah, definitely you heard from God. Well, maybe we didn't. Maybe we did. And maybe we didn't. And it's okay because that's how we learn. That's how we grow. We're not always going to get it right. That's one of the first things we teach people when we're teaching people how to hear the voice of God is you're not going to hear clearly all the time. You're not always going to get it right and it's okay. I only want to hear more and more clearly and the only way I do that is by being honest. But I've never questioned the goodness of God. I've never questioned His goodness in in that. And we must guard our heart when, with regards to the posture of our questions. Uh, and one of the disciplines that I've tried really, really hard to cultivate over the last probably three years or so uh, has been one when things go wrong or things don't, don't turn out exactly how I expect them to, whether they be big or small. Uh, I, I try to make my response be one uh, of, what does this make available right now, God? Because you're good, so you must be working good here. So what does this make available that wasn't available before? Whether I've got that decision, whether I've, I've made the wrong choice or whatnot, that's irrelevant. What, what are you doing right now in this moment because you're good? Um, and I've even, uh, in more recent times, found myself, uh, there's the catchphrase of the people of God in the Old Testament. You'll see it uh, very, very often, and we're talking about this uh, at, uh, at the pub <laughs> through the week, was... Uh, catchphrase of the people of God was, he is good and his love endures forever. And it's four words in Hebrew. It's yada, Adonai, chesed, olam. And I found myself singing it. I sing it. Fair dinkum. I'll sing it. Because I find that in those moments when I'm beginning to find myself being unsure, I need to get myself back to the place of understanding, no, you're good and your love endures forever. And so I'll just sing it over and over. And I say, Yada, and I'm going to do this. Adonai, Chesed, 
Olam. And I'll just do it over and over. Because I figure if it was good enough for the people of God to sing that over and over for 13 kilometers in Second Chronicles 20, it's good enough for me to do it for a couple of minutes. It, well, maybe it's up to you. You find your way. You find a way uh, to, to walk through that. I've, you're always going to open a door, God. You're always going to open a door because there's always a feast where there's a foe. Psalm 23, we love it. Where's the feast? In the presence of the enemies. What a stupid place for a feast. <laughs> Come on, God. <laughs> Can't it be with a bunch of friends and you know everything's all good? No, no, no. The feast is where the enemies are. Righto. <laughs> I'll go there. But it helps us in those places of knowing that when there's a net, when there's opposition, when there's things that aren't going right, God, you've got a feast there. There's a feast for me there. Another way of knowing you're experiencing disappointment is uh, is doubt begins to surface. Doubt begins to surface. Now, I, I don't know who said this uh, specifically, uh, but it's not sin to doubt your beliefs, but it is sin to believe your doubts. And if we begin to question the goodness of God, that's sin. We can dress it up and we can call it honest doubt and all of those sorts of things, but the reality is, is that the Bible tells us that that's unbelief and unbelief is sin. Now, the wonderful, good, the wonderful news in that is, is that thing sitting over there, the cross, in that it may be sin, but there's a way through it. And I don't need to be kept in that place. The fourth way is I begin to reduce my level of expectancy. No longer am I expecting great things from a great God. Uh, if I walk into a room and expect nothing, that's a sign that disappointment has, gripped, has gained a grip on my heart. Because it's normal for believers to walk in outstanding hope. It's normal for believers to enter into a room and expect great things. It's normal for believers to get up on a Sunday morning, come to church and think, you're going to rock this place today, God. You're going to do something outstanding and I can't wait to be a part of it. That is normal. It's one thing to live experiencing disappointment. It's another thing to expect disappointment. Once I live expecting people to let me down, once I live expecting that God won't show up, we're in that place where my heart is beginning to shrink. My heart is shrinking and it's not growing in that place. And that's when we begin to get selective about our assignments. We choose to safeguard ourselves from risk because we don't want to be disappointed again. And speaking of inheritance, one of the great inheritances of the vineyard is risk. People who will step out and take risk because they know that God is good and he will show up. But I'll bring it all together now, Psalm 71. That's too far. Psalm 71, David, King David. Okay, I'm going to start in, uh, in verse 4 there. No, I'm not going to start in verse 1. Uh, 
In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Never let me be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me and rescue me. Incline your ear to me and save me. Be a rock, be to me a rock of refuge to which I may continually come. You have given the command to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. Rescue me, O my God, from the hand of the wicked, from the grasp of the unjust and the cruel man. For you, O Lord, are my hope, my trust, O Lord, from my youth. Upon you I have leaned from before my birth. You are he who took me from my mother's womb. My praise is continually of you. I have been as a portent to many, but you are my strong refuge. My mouth is filled with your praise and with your glory all the day. Do not cast me off in the time of old age. Forsake me not when my strength is spent. For my enemies speak concerning me. Those who watch for my life consult together and say, God has forsaken him. Pursue and seize them, for there is none to deliver him. O God, be not far from me. O my God, make haste to help me. May my accusers be put to shame and consumed with scorn and disgrace, that they may be covered who seek to, to seek my hurt. Here it is, verse 14. But I will hope continually. I will praise you yet more and more. My mouth will tell of your righteous acts, of your deeds of salvation all the day, for their number is past my knowledge. With the mighty deeds of the Lord God, I will come. I will remind them of your righteousness, yours alone. David is an incredible man who's uh, experienced incredible dysfunction in his life. Uh, incredible dysfunction, pain, brokenness. Uh, at the end of his life, he says, I will relentlessly lean into the, into hope, asking God to fill me with this hope and love and declaring it to everybody. Now it's funny, David is just a shepherd unless he faces Goliath. And David's just a shepherd unless he faces Saul and responds to Saul the way that he responds. He'll forever just be a shepherd. Bill Heibel said this thing, he said, the church is the hope of the world. Well, the thing is, is that we're only the hope of the world when we have hope coursing through our veins. Uh, you can't just put a tagline on it and, uh, and, and, and say that it is the hope of the world. No, it's not. It's not when, it, when the church is filled with cynicism and unbelief. Uh, it's not the hope of the world at that point. It's the mirror of the world. When it's full of cynicism and unbelief, it's the mirror of the world, not the hope of the world. You can't just put it... It's, it's Jesus' heart and it's his intention that we be the hope of the world, but only when we've had hope coursing through our veins. If, if hope is not the very centre of who we are, if our expectation isn't set there, if our, if our, our posture and our, and our expectation is, is one of cynicism, of doubt, well, we're the mirror of the world at that point and not the hope of the world. As for me, I will hope continually... David said, and our community is waiting for us and needs a community of faith like ours to show them the way of the kingdom. Not only our community, our nation, the world is waiting for Australians to stand up and take their place on the global stage. For this is our inheritance. This is what we can show the world. What those young men did at Anzac Cove a hundred odd years ago, is our inheritance. They're waiting for us to stand up and process the pain that comes and walk through the disappointment, but we will refuse to lower our hearts. 
We refuse to lower our hearts to what we think is possible, but we'll take our cue from Scripture. We'll begin to engage with, uh, with, with that saying that we will not rest until we see everything that God has for us come. This is our inheritance and it is tenacious. As for us, we will always have hope. We will always be known as hope bringers, as hope carriers, those who liberate captives in our community. We can't do that by ourselves, but because of the overshadowing power of the Holy Spirit, we can lead people into life and hope. For us, we're going to weather some storms. We're going to take some hits, but we're going to keep our eyes fixed on the prize. Paul said that. We're going to keep our eyes fixed on the prize that Christ is calling us towards, and we're going to keep moving forward. We're going to keep moving forward step by step. We're going to step forward uh, through the relational turmoil, th- turmoil, through the affliction, through the opposition, through the rejection. Thank God for rejection. Uh, the Bible says that we're blessed when we're rejected. It's the doorway to expansion, I heard Alan Scott once say. The doorway to expansion is rejection. Now, I'm, you've got to sign up for that stuff. It's counterintuitive because we want to be comfortable. <laughs> I want to be comfortable. You've got to have enemies to get an inheritance. You've got to have enemies to get an inheritance. We have an enemy who is running to strip us of an inheritance that is tenacious, that is, that is completely resolved to saying we're going to keep moving forward no matter what we face, no matter what comes at us. We're going to keep moving forward. We're going to keep reaching towards this invisible kingdom (laughs) that is still so incredibly tangible when it gets earth. We're going to see change. We're going to be people of change in ourselves and for for others around us. That's enough for me. (sighs) Stand and pray. You've been sitting for long enough. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. We welcome you and we ask that your peace would rest on us right now. Just in the last little while, for many of us, all sorts of emotions, all sorts of memories, all sorts of things have come flooding to the surface. Images, thoughts of where we are right now, the disappointments of the past, the disappointments of right now, those things that we're discouraged in, people who have let us down, enemies that we are facing right now. Lord, as children, we come before you, Father, and ask for our inheritance. Give us our inheritance. We welcome it. It's not for some time in the future. It's for now. It's ours. It's yours and it's mine. So receive it. A resolve, a tenacity, 
a sense of, I want to keep moving forward. I don't want to be a prisoner of disappointment. I want to be a prisoner of hope. Just where you are right now, just I, I invite you and welcome you. If that's, if that's for you, just say yes and amen to that in your heart. I can't choose it for you and nobody else can choose it for you. It's a choice. It's a choice that we all have to make. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. For those of us who are just feeling the grind and the, the, the pressure as, uh, as the enemy presses in around us, as we're feeling uh, our hope draining from us, Holy Spirit, fill us up. Fill us up anew and afresh. Show us how it is that we, we, we're to process this thing. How it is that we're to walk through this thing. Show us, Holy Spirit. Lead us into this place of expansive hope. And fill us up anew and afresh. Come, Holy Spirit. One of the things that was on the words of knowledge for this morning is that the Lord wants to help people who want to hear Him more, trust Him more, and rest in Him more. That's spot on. And so I just want to welcome you that if that's for you, if anything that I've said this morning has uh, touched something in you, you may feel that there's some disappointment that you're uh, that, that's unresolved that you need to that you feel like you need to process and this is just the beginning of the journey uh, you may uh, whatever it is in that ballpark I welcome you to come to the front now uh, to, to take a step forward a physical step forward in response and say I am not going to stay here I am not going to even take a backward step my inheritance is to go forward and I'm going to go forward this morning I'm going to step into what it is that you want for me, Lord. So I welcome you to do that now. And uh, this is uh, this is quite a brave thing to do. I don't want to uh, kind of wash over that at all. It is a very brave thing to do to to admit weakness, to to admit vulnerability. And in particular, I'm talking to the blokes here because we don't do that very well. And. Uh, there's a man, there was a man named Bill Greats. I'm just going to share this very quickly. There's a man named Bill Greats who was part of the civil rights movement in the US. And he was asked one day how it was that he was so courageous as they walked that journey out uh, in the early days of the civil rights movement. And he said, we came to understand that courage and bravery were not, uh, did not happen in the absence of fear, but that they were, that they happened and they were doing what was right and what was needed in the presence of fear. Don't let that fear hold you back this morning. I'm not trying to push or labor the point, but don't let that fear hold you back this morning. If there's, some, if there's something that you need to come and step into uh, with, with the Holy Spirit this morning, then we, we really don't want you to leave without that. And there are, there are a couple of other words.